Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Hampshire Cricket's Deputy Head Groundsman, Mr. Tom Cowley. So Tom, first things first, mate, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Uh, today's been quite good. The sun is shining. The, the mowers are out on the grass. So we're quite happy today. I bet you are. And obviously, for the listeners out there, you won't be able to see this, but Tom is coming to us live from the Aegeus Bowl. How's the weather down in Southampton at the moment? It looks absolutely glorious in it that backdrop. Like, like a summer's day so I'm sat at the top of the pavilion looking out onto the the main ground and um yeah it's, re- it's really nice today so we we're halfway through cutting the main square and we're doing some draining on the outfield so yeah everything's good today. Goodness me making me jealous by the second with that view and the backdrop I'm just here in my living room yeah can't say the view is exactly the same just a few leaves and trees out there to be honest but <laughs> at least it's dry that, that's the important thing in in November, isn't it? Goodness me, it was very, very wet the other week. But folks, we're not here to discuss the intricacies of the British weather. Instead, I'm here to talk to Tom today about his earliest cricketing memories, as well as the wonderful world of the groundsman. So, Tom, to kickstart things, I want to take it all the way back to the origins of the Tom Cowley cricketing story. So, what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? So I think early, so I've always been around cricket from an early age. Um, I look back at photos when I was a toddler, I always had a cricket bat or a ball of some kind next to me. Um, my uncle played cricket for Hampshire. Uh, dad was always playing cricket. So every Saturday I'd, I'd go along and watch and I would hit catches up in the warm up or be bowling and, and all day, just kept playing cricket all day. And I think when I really sort of started to take an interest was sort of towards the end of primary school, sort of around the 2005 Ashes time. Um, so I could understand things a little bit more and that series just gripped me. And obviously I was playing cricket a little bit then at that age as well. And it was just like all snowballed into one and it all went from there really. Goodness me, what a fantastic route into the game. And before we talk about family influence, because in your case, Tom, there's an awful lot of that, isn't there? Very much born into the game. In many ways, we've got to talk about the 2005 Ashes. I need absolutely no excuse to talk about that series, one of the greatest Test Series and Ashes series of all time. It's absolutely extraordinary and any excuse I'll take with both hands. So in terms of that series, if you could go back and relive just one day from that most incredible of Ashes series between England and Australia, would you go back and why? I think the one that sticks out the most is the day at Edgbaston where it got really close. We got the last wicket. They needed a couple of runs to win. And um, I just remember sort of, I was watching it. It's going, oh, there's no way we're going to do it. No way we're going to do it. So I sort of would run out into the garden, cut a little bit of grass and then think, now you've got to go and watch it. You've got to go watch it. So I then come running back through the house and, and sit in front of the telly for another few overs. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a great memory for me. Great shout. Absolutely fantastic shout. A very common one on the podcast, it does have to be said. That day at Edgbaston, England, the victors by two runs in one of the closest Ashes matches ever. 
an absolutely incredible affair. And this is the the million dollar question, Tom, for the podcast in terms of the 2005 Ashes. But did Kasprowicz glove that ball behind the Geraint Jones? Yes or no? Don't think he did. <laughs> really? I th- it's that it's very close, isn't it? I think nowadays it, it would definitely be reviewed and maybe overturned. But I'm glad I'm glad it was given out. Yeah, to be honest, I think that's the the common answer from any English perspective. We're all glad it was out and definitely hit the glove 100. percent No controversy, no margins at all. It was definitely the glove, wasn't it? But it's interesting you say that actually because we had uh, we had Tom Scriven on the podcast recently. Funnily enough, formerly of your parish of Hampshire, and he said the exact same thing. So, yeah, maybe in review, could have been a, a different decision, couldn't it? Series. Obviously, into September, we're going back to school, and you had the, the oval test, almost like getting home as quickly as possible to, to catch the end of it and asking the teacher to check the score throughout the day and what was what was going on. It, yeah, really good memories of it. Absolutely, and it's incredible, isn't it? The, the impact, the effect, and the long-lasting legacy that series has had on English cricket, not just for players, but for coaches, for fans, for ground staff, pretty much everybody involved in this sport of that age always seems to go back to that series. So again, shout out to the 2005 Ashes, an integral pillar of English crickets in the modern era. And Tom, aside then from the international arena, I did just want to go back to the family influence because in your case, you're very much family driven, aren't you, in the game of cricket? So as you mentioned, your dad's very much an integral part of, of South Wilts Cricket Club. And then your uncle Nigel played first-class cricket for Hampshire, went yep. on to become an umpire as well. So in terms of that family influence, who do you say did have the biggest influence on your journey into the world of, of groundskeeping, per se? Groundskeeping definitely would be my dad, because not only did he play at South Wilts for a long time, he also did the ground up there for a bit as well before moving on elsewhere and it's sort of I was around the age of 12 13 so I'd go up in my school holidays I'd help out because I, I sort of the quicker we got the job done the more time I could have him throw balls at me in the nets so I was like okay I'll cut the square today you can roll the pitch and that just means we can get in the nets by three o'clock or, or something like that so there's almost like a bit of an incentive to to get that side of it done but also like my love for groundsmanship grew Sort of, although I didn't really know it at the time, those early days, sort of spending time with him, sort of doing what we did to the wickets and everything, it, I was learning so much. And it was just a yeah, really good experience and really good memory. It certainly sounds like it. And I just think that's a fantastic route into the game, you know, via your dad and picking up his passion as well. His love for, for groundskeeping and, and the turf industry is absolutely fantastic. And in terms of that industry, I did want to talk about this in a lot of detail because I'm pretty sure. That's we're around about 270 episodes in to the County Cricket Podcast, and you are the first member of a county ground staff to appear on the podcast. So we're very much breaking new ground, and I've wanted to do an episode like this for absolutely ages. So in terms of that initial foray into the world of of groundsmanship and, of course, the turf industry, Tom, how did that transpire? How did you go from just playing cricket to become a a member of the ground staff? How did that first materialise? I think I was obviously wanted to obviously wanted to try and be a professional cricketer and all of that and I sort of got to around 16 trialed at a few academies and it didn't work out and then you almost start to think okay like what am I going to do next um I've always loved being outside and so I thought actually okay I quite enjoy 
the work I did at South Wilkes with my dad. So I sort of started doing a little bit, sort of cutting the outfields um, and just maintaining sort of surrounds and sort of would do a little bit on the pitches with my dad and a guy called John Williams. So they would sort of teach me a little bit and sort of got the ground to a point where they needed someone full time to be there. I was like, I'm leaving school, don't really know what my next step is. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. And that's where it went from there. Goodness me, again, that's a lovely route into the industry then, isn't it? So very much a case of of staying in the game and exploring a different avenue then, but yeah. one which from an early age you quite clearly loved. And yeah. in terms of groundskeeping and creating those cricket pitches, what is it about this industry that you love, Tom? What brings you back year in, year out, season in, season out? What is it about the art of the turf industry that really captured your imagination and keeps on bringing you back into this art form i think it's the love of the game one and also the love of the industry so you like it's the county season is really long and up and down the country the hours everyone puts in is is quite remarkable and you just got to have that that love for the job i would say because there's nothing better you sort of you're watching some of the best games of cricket and you're you are the one responsible for producing or you and your team producing the services people are playing on I just think it's like that is a really mad thing when you sit there and think about it. You've got all these people watching, the eyes of the world are watching, and you know you're responsible for putting on this this stage, basically. Absolutely. I think that's a lovely way of, of looking about it because in so many ways, ground staff are the unsung heroes, aren't they? Not just at county level or international level, but in particular at grassroots level. Yeah. Because that's... it's voluntary. It's run out of love for the game and for the club. So in terms of the industry, it's something which I think Irons, an awful lot of people, have tremendous respect for. They have hard work and dedication and that blood, sweat and tears, all of the cliches which go into it, really is incredible. And in terms of the job itself, what is your favourite aspect of working as a groundsman? What is it about the industry in particular that you absolutely adore? Love for being outside is one of one of the things I absolutely enjoy it. But there's the satisfaction from sort of taking just the green grass of the square and then being able to produce it into that the 22 yards, whatever it is, or the colour of it, the, the process to to bring that all together. It is really intriguing and it changes weekly with the weather and usage and stuff like that. And it's just yeah, really complex art basically, and it, it's really enjoyable to do. It is an art. Again, I think that's a really nice way of, of describing it because we do see this in cricket. You get these immaculate outfields, don't you? And we also see it in football. So, for example, Leicester's groundsman was very famous for this, for putting the intricate patterns and spirals and designs at, uh, at the King Power. So it is an art, and I think that's a very nice way of describing it. And in terms of, of the turf itself, Tom, where did that love actually come from? Because I know we spoke about earlier the influence from your dad, but... What is it about the art of, of groundskeeping and, you know, perfecting the art form itself, which almost drew you in in the first place? Why do you love the turf industry? I think I think about this one. It's that the, the, final, the final product you produce, like you, obviously you strive to come in every day and do as much as you can to the best of your ability. Obviously some days you can't do that because other circumstances get in the way. But it's that final just before like a ball's bowled or people step out onto the turf you can sort of step back and think okay it looks absolutely stunning today like it is fit to go for day one of the ashes or um the women's odi or even just a t20 where you know you're going to have a 
a sellout at GS Bowl. Like people walk through through the gates and into stands, and then it's literally everything's on show. And when it, it just looks that pristine color and everything, it just looks amazing. You sort of step back and think, yeah, we've done well here. Yeah, I can imagine the the satisfaction is unparalleled, isn't it? It's unrivaled because it's one thing to to play on a great surface, and obviously it must be great when the players do give you plaudits and attention afterwards, it must be very satisfying. But it's a completely different beast, knowing that you're the one who's created that surface. So I imagine it must be a tremendous feeling as a groundsman. And in terms of the pitches that you've prepared at both South Wilts and, of course, at the Aegeus Bowl, this might be a very, very tough question, Tom, but is there one surface or one particular game which really stands out to you over the course of these past few years? So I have, I probably have three. So I've, a couple I've done. So I've done, before the World Test Championship, a warm-up game between India, an like inter-squad game. I just remember Bumrah was bowling to Kohli. And um, he just bowled a couple of bounces that sort of whizzed past Kohli's nose and the keeper sort of takes it on the edge of where the 30-yard circle would be. And everyone was like really happy and they had a really good day. And I'm just like, oh, I've done that. It's almost like sort of a, a pinch yourself moment. Um, and then obviously at South Wales, so we we host um, we did host minor counties cricket, and I was there, so almost sort of not really knowing that much about pitches at the time, but so I'd pick stuff up by watching YouTube and things like that, and you would try it and it would work, and people would say, oh, it's been great, a great three days of cricket, and you just think, oh wow, like oh, I've done that, it's minor counties. I remember the big difference was I come down to help Carl McDermott when he was in charge here, it was a England Pakistan ODI. I sort of just remember walking out onto the ground in the morning and taking the covers off and it was just like, wow. Sort of I thought my club ground was in, in good nick and everything was in order and you'd like step out at the the top level and it's just like this is mad. And almost like Ben was then, Okay, I'm hungry to to make the next step now. Well it's the the living of the dream, isn't it? To yeah. get to work at not just one of the, the eighteen first class HQs, because that in itself is ridiculously special, but in your case, you are at a test hosting venue and an international cricket hosting venue. So it just takes on a completely different level of, of meaning and satisfaction when you do get it right. And actually, Tom, before we get into our more nerdy chats about groundskeeping and we get to learn some of the terminology as cricket fans, I just wanted to talk actually about the opportunity at Hampshire because I feel like we've almost glossed over that in some ways, because we've almost teleported straight from South Wilts to the Aegeus Bowl without talking about the the journey between then. So in terms of that pathway, going from South Wilts Cricket Club to the Aegeus Bowl, how did you actually get the job in the first place? What steps did you take to actually break into the turf industry itself? Uh, so I'll come down to help out that day in 2016. I remember... I had a text sort of a couple of months later from the deputy at the time saying there's a job going to be coming up in the new year would you apply for it and I was like oh wow and I got the text and I was like oh, this is like a dream come true this is this is crazy and I sort of under and I thought I nothing to lose I'll go for it and see what happens and then yeah was lucky enough to to get the job and I remember sort of um, I lived with someone down here at the time, so I sort of moved down for my first few weeks and sort of remember leaving home the night before, so just like packed a rucksack and be like, I've got everything I need, I'm off, like this is amazing. Um, and then so yeah, it all sort of snowballed from there to then 
um, in 2020 when Simon Lee come in. I was lucky enough to be promoted to deputy, and then that takes on another level of responsibility and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been a been a really good journey and one that happens quite quickly. So I probably need to sit back more and actually think. Well, actually, you've done quite well to come from South Wilts and then up to here. So it's been a really good route into the game as well. Well, you should be tremendously proud because it is a great success story, isn't it? Going from your local club to an international cricket venue. It's absolutely astonishing. And in terms of your your first impressions of the Aegeus Bowl, not only on that first day when you're working under Carl McDermott, but obviously in 2020 when you did land the position, what were your first impressions of the ground, of the venue, and of course the surroundings? Because the Aegeus Bowl is some venue, isn't it? Obviously, you've got the ground itself, but you've got the golf course nearby. You've got all the facilities on site as well. What were your first impressions of the Aegeus Bowl? I'd probably just say, wow, it's such such a big facility. There's so much potential and you sort of have everything in one place, which is quite unique, I think. For, for, and it's just it's a, it's a big ground, big site, and it's just great. It's just great to work down here. Yeah, I can imagine it is. And do you ever go out on the on the golf course that's next door? Or we share we share um, a, a, a working space with the greenkeepers, um, so we go out there quite a bit actually. So I probably leave far too many divots for them. But, uh, <laughs> no, they're they're a good bunch, and we we I will go out and play golf with a few of them as well. So we have a good bond with them. Well, that's good to hear. And actually, that has just manifested another question from my end, and that is actually about the the collaboration between industries because that must be fantastic having the knowledge of those greenkeepers essentially next door because there are definitely transferable skills between the two so in terms of that cooperation is that something which is quite almost usual and and a common occurrence in the turf industry do you have those conversations with people in golf in crickets in rugby and football is that something which does take place in this industry definitely does people will speak to a lot of different people Uh, people in cricket will speak to people in rugby football and and vice versa Um, which is really good because at the end of the day everyone wants to try and do the best they can people face different situations at different grounds and sometimes you just pick up the phone and talk to someone that they they may have faced a problem or you may just need to get something off your chest about something but everyone's always really welcome people that I've spoke to have been brilliant and always give really good advice and People are happy to to help other people as well, which which is one of the big things in the industry that I absolutely love. It doesn't matter sort of what background, what sport you're in, what you want to do. Everyone sort of will make time for one another and be very supportive. Well, that's very important, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, this is a very niche industry, isn't it? Yes. Only a select few people actually go on to this level of groundskeeping itself. So it is important to have that level of cooperation and. I think that's brilliant, to be honest, to hear that there is such a a supportive network available across sports. It's great to hear, Tom. And in terms of those collaborations and the the cooperation between industries, I suppose, in sports turf, what do you say has been the biggest lesson or takeaway that you've learned from maybe another sport like golf or football or rugby? Is there anything which is almost interchangeable between the two? I think think a lot is... A lot is similar, and then at the same time, there's a lot that's really different. Um, I think sort of the similarities. Obviously, everyone wants everything to look 
pristine all the time and obviously different budgets and obviously football's like massive compared to cricket and things like that but sort of sort of the working mentality and the drive is what is pretty similar across all sports to to try and produce the top surfaces you possibly can right that's very interesting to hear then so definitely there is that almost um camaraderie then between different groundskeepers in different sports and yeah i just think it's it's very important isn't it to to pass on that knowledge and almost share different ideas because you never know there could be something in either of those sports or any sport basically which you could utilize in cricket i think it's a very fascinating concept and i did promise that we would go into the more nerdy aspects of groundskeeping tom and i can see a big wide grin emerging on that face of yours because I wanted to talk about the equipment in particular because as I've been researching this podcast some things have have come up and to be honest even I don't know what they are so you're teaching me uh, as well as people who are interested in this industry but in terms of the equipment itself so you use a lot of mowers I see them all the time at Edgebaston the rollers obviously you've got trimble meters and impact hammers what is your favourite piece of equipment to use as a groundsman? I'd probably say my pitch mower. I, I just, it's, it sounds, this going to sound crazy, but it's just, I just clicked with it automatically. Sort of, as soon as I used it, like the controls, everything just felt natural. And it's just one of those things that if I'm going out to, to cut a pitch, I'd rely on this machine, like it's coming with me. Fair enough. I mean, again, I'm not sure if that will be a common answer across ground staff because we haven't had enough on the podcast. Again, the ground staff of England and Wales, we need you on the podcast to try and compare answers there. But in terms of the mower then, why is that such an important piece of equipment? Just for those who maybe don't know so much about cricket pitches, what is it about mowers in particular which make them such an important tool of the groundsman's arsenal? The quality of cut that they achieve um obviously you're cutting grass really fine at times and sort of taking heights up and down quite a bit and so to have sort of a solid pitch mower or any mower an example just gives you that sort of a bit more armory to to what you need and rely and you can rely on it as well so you know you're going out there with the best that you can to to produce the best that you can Right, okay. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. So that is obviously an integral piece of gear then for any good groundsman is a good mower, a reliable one. And one in in your case, Tom, which you click with, I'm guessing that's also very important from the get-go. But I did just mention a couple of other pieces of equipment there, which to be honest, before the research this podcast, I didn't even know existed. And one of them was the trimble meter. So for those who don't know what a trimble meter is, First and foremost, what is that piece of equipment and why is that important in the sports of cricket? I actually have never used one. Oh, wow. No, okay. so I've used, what I've used sort of that way, I've used sort of Clegg hammers in moisture meters and, and things like that for pitch testing. So I've never come across one of those at the minute. Right. Okay. Well, again, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to do some, I'll have to do some more research on that then. Because the very basic research I did, it just tests the chlorophyll, basically. It tests the, the chlorophyll profile of the grass. So that is what a trimble meter does according to Google. But you mentioned there the Clegg hammer, and that is another thing which came up actually in the research. So why is that such an important piece of equipment for a groundsman? So we, we will use the Clegg hammer 
either the day before match day or on match day to do a, a test of the pitch that we're going to use basically to tell us how hard it is and we can sort of then we will compare that with the moisture readings we take as well and we sort of sort of build up a bit of a profile of what the pitch could potentially play like right okay and with that in mind then in terms of those readings so in terms of moisture levels in terms of the soil compaction if you're looking for a very good surface right one which obviously has something for both the batters and the bowlers what levels are you looking at with those pieces of equipment? I mean, what are the, the rough estimates and the rough figures per se? What, what has worked, depending on sort of the format of cricket and stuff as well. So I think for four-day pitches, we like the moisture to be between 28% and around 24 uh, We know then it is going to hold together um, how we'd want it to as well. And sort of on that note, sort of any sort of Clegg read and sort of 250 or above here means that we're going to see some some good bounce and some good pace um as you get get more into sort of early season obviously moisture can be completely different it's, it's open or winter you're getting as much moisture into the the square as you can you haven't really got the the heat to dry stuff out that quickly um get into the heart of summer obviously it completely changes so like it's harder to get moisture in with fixtures and everything coming up so that can vary vary quite a bit and the clegg hammer will vary massively sort of from the start of the season to the middle to the end so towards the middle of the the summer you're probably seeing more 300 350s reading maybe higher so oh and also depends how much time you get preparation wise into pitches as well well i'm glad you've you've brought that up actually because this is something which has come up on the podcast before and it's the importance of that preparation time because you do need time don't you to produce these elite pitches you can't just rush them it's a very very long and painstaking process so in terms of that preparation time what do you say is the ideal duration and and span of time to create that perfect cricket pitch i think at the start of the season you, I, I personally would give myself around 16 days um because I, he's trying to get pitches out sort of at the start of march it's just not weather for cricket, um, really. So you sort of have to give yourself a little bit longer just to try and produce the best you can. And in into the heart of summer, it can go down to two two weeks, um, a two week prep. And sometimes on coming towards the end of the season on used pitches, it can be between ten and eight days. You go back on a used pitch, almost most of the work has already been done because you've used that pitch already. Um, so there's there's a big and that all depends on what games you have coming up and what games are on at the same time so it's a real balancing act between when you can water when you can roll or is it or because you have a game on at the same time doesn't mean you can't get out and work on that pitch or because there's a game on it's it's warm weather that pitch is open for longer than what you would want it to be because they're playing on a different one so there's there's a lot to it once you start to break it down and look into it there certainly is and it really is the definition of a year-round job isn't it yeah. on the ground staff so you mentioned there about the preparation in the season itself but obviously you've got a lot of work to do over winter and in terms of the preparation process tom what actually goes into that if you could just break it down step by step so let's say that it's three weeks or a month before the season starts right yeah. and you're preparing that first pitch down in southampton ready for that first championship match what goes into the preparation of that surface by a step-by-step process? So I'd probably say when we get to February, all our sort of pre-season work will probably start to ramp up a little bit. Um, so we've tried, this is the weather allows, we've tried to cut more 
we'll probably be using the blotters to start pre-season rolling of the square just to build up that compaction. Um, we then could be covering it, so the covers will come out fairly early. Um, and that's always fun, getting frost and snow off covers. That's, that's another job in itself. And then, then sort of once the square starts to get covered, you start to see it start to harden up and sort of react differently. Um, so then it's just about managing it through that period. And then the build up to, to the first game. So maybe we may need to sort of early February, may have to over, overseed the square just to add some more grass to it. Um, so we get that really nice, strong grass profile and a good covering of grass as well is always important. And as you sort of get towards the end of March, you know the season's coming, you then have your pitches. All the pitches will be set out in the pitch plan. And then you can just look to sort of attack each individual pitch as in when you need to, basically. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. And if we can just break that down even more, because you've mentioned a term there, which is overseeding. And for yep. those who aren't quite familiar or au fait with the industry, what does that actually entail? Because you mentioned about adding grass, but why is that such an important process in terms of creating that ideal cricket pitch? I think you, you want, I like to have the square have as much grass covering as possible. Um, so then obviously when you come to pitches, you haven't got any bare patches and, and sort of things like that. And also having like a healthy grass, it will help sort of with the performance of the pitch as well. I think everyone says it's, it's always easier to, to work with grass and try to add grass through the, through the season with different games and a lot of people on and stuff. So it is, it is important to try and get as much grass coverage as you can obviously ha and promote healthy growth in your square as well. Absolutely. And another process which I suppose can come into that is scarification. It's a term which, again, I wasn't too familiar with before yeah. this podcast so in terms of that process first and foremost what is it for those who aren't quite familiar with it but in terms of scarification itself why is that also important in terms of promoting that healthy grass growth the best as soon as the last ball's bold we look to start preparation for the following season straight away um, and that will be with scarifying or as we put end of season renovations so at scarification, we look to remove sort of any dead grass and it will sort of clean the surface as well. So it's a machine with quite sharp blades on it. Um, there's various machines out there depending on how sort of aggressive you need to be or what you're looking to achieve with your square. And you sort of will just go through in a couple, maybe three directions, a couple of diagonals and finish off the way you play and just give the square a really good clean out. So you're starting with a nice clean surface and then you will add fresh seed into the, the seedbed that you create and then it, and the process starts from there. Okay, again, this is something which I'm learning from the podcast. I didn't actually have a clue what that process entailed. So again, that's fascinating for me to understand that, Tom. And in terms of those processes, again, this might be a difficult question because you could argue that all of these processes ultimately combine to, to create that perfect pitch. But in terms of those processes in particular in winter with those renovations, what do you say is the most important process for the county ground staff? I would say being able to get on the square and do the renovation as soon as possible, because obviously we finish quite late into September. Um, you, and growing conditions in se September are still quite good. As soon as you get into October, it almost puts you back two weeks. So it takes that little bit longer. And you think you have to do if you have to do squares and outfields, so you almost at times you could be finishing in the middle of October, and then it's if the weather changes like it has this year, it can be a battle to um, get grass to grow, basically.
Well, let's talk about that as well, because we have spoken so far in the podcast about the positive aspects and the great side of this industry. But as is the case with any jobs, there are drawbacks and you do have these incredibly frustrating moments. And I can imagine you've had plenty as a groundsman here in England, because the weather at times is absolutely appalling, isn't it? It really doesn't help in terms of that grass growth and the, the soil compaction. So in terms of the more difficult aspects of the job, what would you say are the most difficult things associated with being a, a county ground staff member? What would you say is the, the most challenging thing about this job? I think definitely the weather is up there and the demand of the, of the whole game now, the professional game with so many competitions and, and rightly so as well. And everyone wanted to play on the best they possibly can and the scheduling that they're they're the real things that if you have if you have a busy period coming up and you think okay we've got a nice couple weeks build up to these games you can guarantee it's going to rain and then all of a sudden you lose you may lose three or four days sort of um in preparation which make which makes a big difference because then instead of sort of being out on, on the grass at times you're then just clearing water and just trying to get the sheets off so you can at least get some fresh air to the grass if that makes sense so it can change really quickly. It certainly can, and that is just the, the volatile nature of yeah. the British weather, isn't it? In particular, the rain. I mean, we see so many games being rain-affected, and you do just see the images of the covers coming on and the saturated soil, and you think, oh, goodness me, typical. It's summer, it's meant to be hot, and <laughs> all of a sudden you get a torrential downpour. It's the, the trials and tribulations of the great British summer. But in terms of the, the match day itself then, Tom, I mean, this is something which we haven't actually touched upon, but you've alluded to there in terms of when it does rain and you do have to rush and bring the covers on. What does the day in a life of a groundsman actually entail? Because I imagine there's some prep before the game, but in terms of the match itself, we see it all the time at Edgebaston, the ground staff just almost patrol the boundary and just watch on. Is that something which you guys do at, at the Aegeus Bowl as well? Sort of, if we were to take a, a test match day or a championship day, we would come in at seven in the morning and we would then obviously, if weather allows, we remove all the covers and nets and then start to go about our daily jobs from then. So we may cut the square, the outfield will be cut. Um, we do footholds and remark out the pitch. I won't be able to cut the pitch until the umpires arrive. Um, and by that time, sort of around nine, half nine, players start wandering out to the nets so they have to be they will probably get cut the night before to tie them all up so they probably get a roll in the morning and then we drop all the nets and settle that up and then we're probably sort of around 10-ish we'll probably then just stop and just wait wait for the start of play so we have to have to remove nets they use for warm-ups on the main grounds like fielding nets and everything like that um, so that would be sort of a, a normal morning and then we will sit and watch a bit of cricket and I tend obviously where we're quite unique here and we've got all the training facilities and everything next door uh, there's always something to be done at some point so we then just sort of we'll have a list of jobs and everyone at some point in the day will just go off and do a different job that needs doing and then we sort of we'll filter in back and watch the cricket and we tend to wrap up around seven o'clock at night right okay so again it's very much a hands-on job so essentially yeah. a 12-hour day from yeah. that description then during the height of the summer and in terms of switching off, again, this is an important aspect of life, isn't it? Because we can get sucked into the world of work. How do you actually switch off from a busy day or a busy season of cricket? Is there something which, I don't know, you have like a hobby or an interest outside of groundskeeping? Or 
is it very much a a love affair with this industry? I mean, what do you do to to switch off during the season? Probably in the season, either sort of may go and just play on the golf course after a hard day and going to or go out for a run just like to completely switch off and just free the mind up. And and every, a lot of people will do many different things, but sort of it's sort of in the middle of a four day game or lead up to internationals, is is you do live it for a number of days because it is so much going on. Even in the the build up to the games, obviously people loads of different companies are coming in to set up a number of different things. So it is it, you do sort of you are in the job twenty four seven. So it is important, definitely. So it's definitely winter time to sort of switch off, cut back a bit, and and get you do get those moments in the in the year as well where you can just have a couple of days just to chill and do nothing, which is really nice. <laughs> I imagine it is, isn't it? After such a, a busy time, given the the hands on nature of the job, I mean, that must be absolutely fantastic to to have some well earned rest over the course of the season. And in terms of the the mental side of the job, as you mentioned, it's unrelenting at times in particular at a venue like the Aegeus Bowl when you've got multiple formats multiple competitions you've got the hundred you've got international cricket the schedule is absolutely relentless do you ever find the job quite mentally taxing because obviously you've got all of this stress the pressure the expectations of producing these world-class pitches and then when things don't go right so for example when you might get a poor pitch rating or let's say the fans aren't happy about how the surface has has been acting or let's say it's been deemed that you've taken too long to bring the covers on do you ever find that the the industry can also be quite mentally taxing from an individual perspective oh definitely the thing is that everyone sort of as i said the the eyes of the world at times are looking at what you've done and, and everyone has an opinion and some people won't know even how to sort of start a mower and they're giving you opinion on what you need to do and it is almost you have to be really resilient so you have Sort of, and from experience, you sort of work on, you understand the process of pitch preparation and what you're looking to achieve. There's so many other factors that people don't even realise. People sort of walk through the gate an hour before the game, and walk, and then go at the end of the game and comment on whatever they've seen. But actually, they don't know what's happened in the five days build up to this, or what's going to happen as soon as they leave. So yeah, you almost have to sort of back yourself back the skills you know obviously speak to other people as well because everyone faces so many different situations and sort of just ask what they have done at times and things like that and sometimes it is it's just like you just turn the phone off and don't go on social media and stuff like that because what one person might think is a perfect pitch someone else will disagree so it's just like at the end of the day i think it, it should be judged on the game of cricket and if it's a good game of cricket then that's that's what everyone wants to see 100%. And in terms of those games of cricket, this is quite an interesting question, actually, Tom. I'm surprised that I haven't actually brought it up beforehand. But in terms of the balance between creating the pitches that you want and, let's say, the pitches that your team captain wants or the coach and the players want, how difficult is it to strike that balance? Because at times, I'm guessing there might be a slight difference of opinion in particular given the, the season situation, for example, in the past, a lot was spoken about results pitches. So in terms of striking that balance, how do you go about achieving that? And at times, is that quite difficult to to achieve that during the season? I think it's really difficult and it comes down to sort of how much preparation time you're getting for the, for the next pitch and all those things. I think everyone sort of sets out every day to produce the best they can. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what everyone wants and what everyone looks to achieve really 
and it, and it's difficult. I said the schedules at times and, and the hours and the sort of time that you can get on the grass and changing from one competition to another. So there's so many factors that come into it. But I think everyone sets out. I've personally set out to try and produce the best I can to give an, an even contest between bat and ball. And that's exactly how it should be, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, even though we do have our allegiances, we do have our preferred teams, I think when you just strip it down to its basics, we're all just fans of cricket, aren't we? We want yeah. to see some good cricket, whether that's good bowling, good batting, good fielding. We're cricket fans first and foremost. We appreciate this game for what it is, as opposed to just regional and, and club rivalries. And in terms of those those pitches, Tom, what do you say does make a good pitch across those formats? So how does a good championship pitch maybe differ from a good T20 pitch? Is there much of a difference? in your opinion, between those those styles and those formats, per se? Championship cricket, you obviously like the pitch to deteriorate naturally throughout the game. Um, sort of on day one, I, I'm not against it having a sort of a greeny tinge to it. Um, so there's there's enough there if you were to bowl first. But also, if, if you bat well, there's, a, there's enough there to say you can bat all day and score big runs. So it's just striking that contrast sort of on sort of for championship cricket. Um, and for one day cricket, sort of, sort of go the other way not to have too much ball movement and try to sort of make them as flat as hard and as hard as possible so you can you see that you see the big scores and things like that you have the really close games fair enough uh, again i was to be honest i was anticipating that answer because <laughs> it's what we all like isn't it in t20 cricket we want to see some big shots and big scores don't we in those those shorter formats and I suppose in the championship, as you mentioned, it's natural deterioration. So you want seam, you want swing movements in those early days, and then the spinners come into it as the pitch does deteriorate heading into late day three and, of course, day four. So I was just really interested to to hear that, Tom. And before we get on to our chats about the future and we talk about the preparation of the Aegeus Bowl heading into 2024, just one final question that I did just want to ask about the industry is for the benefit of any young ground staff out there who maybe want to get into this industry and, and turn this into a career. So if you could go back in time, Tom, and talk to a younger version of yourself and give him some pointers, some tips, some advice, which will set him on the right path in this industry, what advice would you give to a young member of ground staff who wants to make it in this career path? I definitely think so. When I remember looking back, that there was no mention of ground staff or any or anything like that it was sort of I sort of said at, at school when I went out one day a week on an apprenticeship I said I don't want to go to car mechanics I, I enjoy working outside could I do this and they sort of oh, we've never ever thought of that so it's almost sort of letting people know that this is a career industry um, and for my younger self I would say probably at my club speak to the grounds people that were there sort of sort of engaging with what they know because there's so many people up and down the country that volunteer or do club grounds that will know so much and they'll be there every week like in the rain or after work they'll be there trying to produce the best they can and I think it, it's amazing what people do so sort of for me it's sort of learning of the people that were at South Wilkes at the time and sort of learning off them and every now and then they'd let me cut the square and it, it sort of you have a love from it from there. Fair enough. I think that's a lovely piece of advice then. So very much, again, collaborate with existing yeah. members of ground staff, learn some wisdom, pick up some tips, some advice in the industry. And I suppose another thing in terms of the professional level, 
there is an element of luck, isn't there? It's about putting yourself in the right position when those jobs do come up. So, for example, in your case, putting yourself in the right position for this role as the deputy head groundsman. So I think that's some lovely advice. And to be honest, Tom, it's just really refreshing to hear someone so passionate about the turf industry. It really is. Again, I'm I'm learning all sorts here. So this is absolutely fantastic. And in terms of the future, right, so we are recording this in November 2023. So the season hasn't started just yet, but as we know, it's a very hands-on industry. The grind never stops, does it, in the life of the ground staff. So in terms of the next steps, I'm guessing the winter renovations have well and truly begun. I think it'd be a bit late if they hadn't started (laughs) at this point. But in terms of the next steps then, between now and that first ball being bowled in April, what have you got to do in order to get that to where you want it to be and produce that perfect pitch? come the the start of the season so there'll be a lot of planning sort of starting sort of where we're going to start playing games in warm-up matches and in areas like that so the outfield as i look at the ground now we have the tractor going up and down with the spiker on the back to open up the soil the main square is getting cut and so we're starting to sort of manage the now we can get on the square to cut the grass down a little bit to encourage that to grow and thicken up a little bit more then it sort of be sort of feeding it at the right times and basically just managing it through the winter. So come sort of start of March, we're, we're ready to get into to full swing. Fair enough. Nice pun as well, given the, the movement that you get down in, in Southampton as well, with likes of Mohamed Abbas, Keith Barker and Kyle Abbott, to name but a few. And in terms of your future aspirations, Tom, just before we do bring an end to what's been a fascinating episode of the County Cricket Podcast, What are your future aspirations, not just heading into the summer of 2024, but of course the years beyond? Because at the moment you're a deputy head groundsman. I'm guessing at some point you'd like to be the head groundsman and and have that position. So in terms of your future aspirations in this industry, what does Tom Cowley want to achieve heading into the summer of 2024 and of course the years beyond? I think for next year, 24, would just be to continue developing and producing pitches and, and obviously you're always in this injury you're always learning every day and sort of to keep that open mind in the processes and, and learn and speak to as many people as possible to gain as much experience and in future I, i'd love to be in charge somewhere i think that's that's a real goal of mine like i, I love the industry I, I love what i do sort of be able to be in charge somewhere and sort of manage a team and sort of take hopefully take a place on to another level really really excites me well, Tom, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and the rest of the Hampshire ground staff all the best of luck heading into next summer and, of course, the years beyond. I mean, this has been a real eye-opening chat for me. As I said, I've learned a great deal and we've only been speaking for about 45, 50 minutes. So, as you said, having these conversations, picking up these tips and tricks and pieces of advice is so, so important. And again, mate, I just want to thank you for taking the time it is a very busy job i know you've still got a lot to do today at the Aegeus bowl so yeah again a massive thank you on my end for for taking the time to come on and explain your passion for this great industry and just before we do say our final goodbyes for the recording tom do you have anything to plug or promote any social media channels websites businesses anything like that now what i will say i sort of for younger generations if if you are at a county ground or you're watching cricket and the job interests you just go and chat to the ground staff 
going and there's so many social media channels like twitter and tiktok there's so many people doing wonderful things sort of showing you what a, a day in the life of a ground staff is um and check out all those channels because most people might think oh you're, you're there on game day oh it's fantastic but sort of understand what it sort of takes to produce a game or to get game day even up and running so it's really good and sort of courses the gma do some great sort of introduction courses to help people sort of get into it that way so there, there's plenty there's a lot of options to look at if you spend the time in looking and, and they, like i said everyone's really welcoming and really helpful so any questions uh, people want to like people message me on twitter asking questions or message me so just, just i'm happy for people to do that if they have any questions so, so i remember i was i was young once and starting out and it's quite daunting but actually Everyone, everyone's the same. Everyone has a love for the industry. So just tap into people's knowledge. Absolutely, Tom. And we will, of course, leave the links to your social media channels in the podcast description below, along with a link to that GMA course as well. I think that'd be very useful for any aspiring ground staff members to check that out. I mean, it's something which I have heard referenced in the past. So again, folks, if you want to go and check that out and just put a foot into this industry and get yourself out there in the world of groundscaping, please do feel free to go and check that out in the podcast description below. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.